What would you do if this was your last night on earth? What would your priorities be? Who would you want to spend time with? Would you try and speak to lots of people? Or would you just try and focus on a few people? And what would you talk about? Would you chat about the weather? About soccer? About politics? Or would you concentrate on more meaningful subjects? I think if we knew that our time was so short and so precious, then probably the things that we did, the people that we'd want around us, the things that we'd talk about would indicate what was really important to us. They would show what we really valued. They would show our true priorities. And I think this is true of Jesus. Last year we started our, our journey through John's Gospel. We saw his miraculous signs. We listened to his amazing teaching. And we learned from the convinced witnesses. Which all pointed to the true identity of who Jesus really is. As John said in John chapter 20. Verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But now we have reached John chapter 13. And Jesus knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close. This was his last night on earth. Tomorrow he would go to the cross. And so in the next few chapters of John's Gospel, as Jesus spent his last night with his disciples, talking together over a meal, we can see what Jesus really values. We can understand what Jesus' priorities are. And I hope that as we study these chapters over the next few weeks, it will help us to ensure that our value system And our priorities are aligned with Jesus for this year ahead. So we're going to read from John chapter 13 uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, please open it up. John chapter 13. You can follow on down through. We're going to read uh, the first 17 verses this morning. But we're going to read only the first six just now. We're then going to look at the, the others later. So John chapter 13 and verse 1 says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, 
Lord, are you going to wash my feet? A few years ago, the Spanish inventor, Pep Torres, he designed what he called the Your Turn washing machine. It was a washing machine with fingerprint recognition technology that would not allow the same person to use it twice in a row. It required a different operator to place their finger on it each time. That way it would force the house, that household chore to be equally shared between the people in the house. Now, maybe some of you think that's a great idea. Maybe a little bit impractical. But it does address a real problem. Many of us, if we could get away with it, we would leave the household chores to somebody else. Wouldn't we? Anybody being honest enough to say that? Yeah. We're tempted to leave the dishes piling up. The bins left needing emptied. The iron basket overflowing in the hope that somebody else will come along and do it all and we wouldn't need to. Wouldn't that be great? So this is what happened with Jesus at this Passover meal that Jesus was having with his disciples. They all needed their feet washed. Having walked from Bethany into the city on Jerusalem and in sandals on those dusty roads. That's why foot washing was a normal thing to do before dinner. Usually water would be provided for people to wash their own feet before they had dinner. But if there was a really important guest, maybe a servant would do that. Or wives would do that for their husbands. Or children for their parents. But that night, everybody was trying to ignore the water and the basin and the towel sitting to one side. Everybody knew that they needed their feet washed. But nobody wanted to do it. To do that domestic chore would be a declaration that they were the least, the lowest in importance at that meal. And none of the disciples wanted to do that. In fact, the disciples often argued about who was the greatest. They were trying to establish a a hierarchy, a pecking order in their group. And Christians still fall into that trap today. Sometimes overtly with titles and positions and fancy clothes and all of that stuff, but sometimes even more subtly than that. With ideas of self-importance and superiority. But to their shock, Jesus was the one who got up. Humbly, he took off his outer robe. And he dressed himself like a servant. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. And stunned silence. These men were served by the one who John says knew that the Father had put all things under his power. That he had come from God. And that he was returning to God. Here was the sovereign ruler of the universe. Taking the role of a servant. To wash. Dirty feet. 
So no wonder Peter reacted so strongly. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's shock here was not that he was getting his feet washed. That was a normal, everyday thing to do. The struggle that Peter had was, who was going to do it? Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, let somebody else do it. Anyone but you, Lord. But Jesus did this. Because he loved his disciples. This is what verse 1 says in our reading. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus' life was one of love. And this was a practical and powerful expression of what real love does. It was love that motivated Jesus to come to earth, as we've been thinking about over the Christmas period. It was love that motivated him to heal the sick, and to raise the dead, and to feed the hungry, and to teach the truth. Because that's what real love does. Real love is not so much of a, a kind of fuzzy, warm feeling of, of attraction to somebody. Rather, real love is seen in loving service for that person. This is what John wrote in his, in his letter. He said, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's not wrong to say, I love you to somebody. Of course, that's important. But if we only say, I love you, but don't live it out in our actions... And there's something we wrong. Real love leads us to act for the benefit of others. And in doing this, it puts the needs of others first. Jesus said that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come for his own benefit, but to seek the good of others. Even at great personal cost. And this love is also one that reaches out to those who least deserve it. Jesus' act of, of service that night would have been shocking even if these disciples who were getting their feet washed were amazing men of commitment and courage and faithfulness and sacrifice. If they were heroes, then even Jesus washing their feet would have been shocking. But the feet that Jesus was washing that day belonged to men who were going to fail him. Just a few hours most of them would abandon Jesus. When Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane, everyone deserted him and fled. They all just got up and ran away and left him at the, at the most difficult time in his life. And then we'll see in a few weeks that at this dinner table, Peter declared, I will lay down my life for you, Lord. But then later that evening, Three times he denied Jesus. 
And for me, most amazingly of all, the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. But still, in love and humility, Jesus washed Judas' feet and gently tried him with the towel he was wearing. Real love keeps on reaching out to those who will abandon us, who will deny us, even to those who have already decided to betray us. Jesus' love is truly unconditional. It is not dependent on our goodness or effort. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's this ultimate act of service, of putting other people first, of valuing the unworthy that Jesus points to in his washing of the disciples' feet. Jesus made this clear by how he responded to Peter's objection. Let's read on, verse 7. Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Those verses show that Jesus was doing much more than just washing away dirt from feet that day. He was providing a picture of washing their sin away from their heart. And so if Peter wanted to be connected to Jesus, he had to humbly allow Jesus not just to wash his feet, but more importantly, to purify him from sin. This is what Jesus was going to accomplish through a sacrificial death on the cross the very next day. As the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin and this is the only way to salvation this is the only way to have a relationship with Christ if we want to be connected to Jesus if we want to have a relationship with him if we want to be part of his kingdom then we need to humble ourselves and we need to accept his payment for our sins on the cross And we need to put our faith in Him and ask Him to come and to wash us clean. Now Peter, he wouldn't understand this until later. However, when he heard about there was a deeper significance in having his feet washed, he wanted to go all in and have a bath. Look at verse 9. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body 
is cleaned. Now there's some debate about the, these verses here. Some people think that Jesus was emphasizing that Peter didn't need anything more than what Jesus could, have, could, could offer him. The cleansing work of Jesus was enough for Peter to be fully clean. He needed to just trust in Jesus and that was it. Because what Jesus can do in our life, it doesn't need to be added to or supplemented by anything else. Or maybe possibly Jesus was teaching here that because Peter had already experienced a once-for-all cleansing of his sin, he had no need of a bath again. His relationship with Christ was established and it would never change. His salvation didn't need to be repeated. All he needed was for the sin that gets in the way of a relationship with God to be dealt with. And we as believers in Jesus need that sin to be dealt with. Not through being saved all over again and again. That only happens once. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, we are cleansed, we are washed totally clean. We are clean in God's sight. But daily, sin does come into our life. And it does interrupt our fellowship with God. And so we need the cleaning of confession of sin to God and accepting His forgiveness. Again, John wrote about it in his letter. He said if we confess our sins just to God, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So maybe here there's a picture of the fact that once we are clean in God's sight, once we have put our faith in Jesus, we are fully clean. But each day, we need to, like, like is in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We need that daily cleansing to maintain that, that close intimacy with our Father. But I think you can see here that in all of this, the emphasis is not on the physical water that was doing the washing. The, the water was only a physical and an outward sign of a spiritual and internal reality. And I think that's clear because it goes on to say, verse 10, Jesus says this, And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not every one of you was clean. Judas, he'd allowed Jesus to wash his feet. With water. So his feet were clean. But he never allowed Jesus to cleanse his heart. Judas looked the part. He shared in the experiences of the disciples. But he did not share in their faith. Because it's faith that saves us. It's faith that cleanses us. It's not a ritual. It's not baptism. It's not any of those other things that we could think about. It is simply our faith in Jesus that cleanses us. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So I think thinking about Judas here is a serious warning to us all this morning. 
It's possible for us to go through any and all of the outward signs of our faith. It's possible to be baptized, to take communion, to be involved in prayer and ministry, and yet still not belong to Jesus. Because all of those things don't bring us into God's family. There is only one way to God. And that's through humble dependence on his death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. To be cleansed from our sin through just putting our faith in Jesus. So this morning, here's a question you probably didn't think you were coming to church to be asked. Are you clean? Not asking if you've had a shower this morning. I'm sure you all are clean. Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Have you put your faith in him to be forgiven of all of your sins? Have you trusted in him? Not trusted in your goodness, not trusted in your religious observances, not trusted in your fact you're part of a church, but simply trusted in Jesus. Put your trust in him. If not, And you could do that today. Right now, when you're sitting there, right now you could put your trust in Jesus and accept what he won for you on the cross. And you could be completely cleansed in God's sight, (coughs) accepted, forgiven, and adopted into his family. So Jesus washed the disciples' feet because they needed to be washed. Because it was an expression of his love for them. And because it pictured their salvation. But there's one final lesson here. We better not miss it. Jesus also washed the disciples' feet as an example for us to follow. Let's read on. Verse 12, please. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to this place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know those these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This was a, a call to humility. Jesus wanted to turn their value system upside down. He wanted them to reject the way of this world with titles and privilege and superiority. And he instead wanted them to humble themselves and be willing to serve each other. To see that the highest calling in God's kingdom is the call to be a servant. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first 
must be your slave. If our Lord and Master came to serve, then we should be willing to serve in the same way. Now this could mean, literally, washing the feet of others. I read about a church in Atlanta, in the States, who do this every Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, sorry, to the homeless men and women in their city. They wash their feet, they buff them with a a pumice stone, they trim their nails, and they give out clean socks. It's not only as a blessing to them, but also helps them to stave off foot infections and other medical complications that can often happen among the homeless. But many people don't need their feet washed. Most people don't have that issue. So I don't think we should turn Jesus' words here into some kind of ceremonial feet washing where we wash clean feets. Feets. Feet. (laughs) As we wash clean feet while everybody else watch. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We're not talking about starting a ceremony of washing feet and doing it in front of people so people can take their photograph. That would just lose the impact of everything that Jesus was doing here. Instead, we need to see this as a practical and a sacrificial command to serve one another in love. Especially when nobody is looking. This is what Jesus said just a little later. In John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. This is similar to an old command that's in the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 19 in the Old Testament. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love has always been at the very heart of God's commands for his people. But this is a new command. One, because it's specifically a new command for a new covenant community. It's a command for us as God's people. A community of people that are not defined by family or race or nationality, but by our unity in Christ. So we should not restrict this love just to people that we like or the people that we get on well with. But we should treat it, we should treat everybody in this way, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's also a new command because of the depth to which we're called to love. Jesus went on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Our love for each other is supposed to flow out of our experience of Christ's Love for ours. And it should be characterized by his love for us. And where do we see Christ's love demonstrated the clearest? Where do we see the true standard of God's love expressed? Where do we see how far Jesus is willing to go in order to love us? Well, of course it's the cross, isn't it? If Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us on the cross, then we are called to love each other with that same level of commitment and passion and sacrifice. And in case you think we're just making this up, 
Again, John wrote it very clearly in his letter. So we get the, the, the depth of this. He said this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So this is not talking about an occasional symbolic ceremony. This is not talking about a once a year generous gift. This is talking about a daily, willing, practical, faithful, unconditional and sacrificial love for a Christian family. It's about caring for others enough to be willing to try to help meet their needs. So it could mean providing practical care. Maybe like giving a meal or helping around the house or babysitting or, or giving a lift in a car or all kinds of other practical things that we can do to help somebody who's in need. Or maybe it's about giving emotional help like an encouraging text or a phone call or a visit or just a listening ear when somebody's going through a hard time and they just need to unburden their heart to somebody. Or it could be spiritual help, like praying for somebody or offering forgiveness to somebody who's hurt us or supporting somebody in a, something, in a temptation that they're really being overwhelmed by. It can be costly in terms of our resources, in terms of our effort, in terms of our pride, as we have to roll up our sleeves and get into the the nitty-gritty, everyday, mundane work. But probably most of all, it's costly in terms of our time. But this is what Jesus calls us to do. To love others as we've been loved. This is what our Helping Hands ministry has been trying to do in our church. Expressing the love of Jesus through giving practical help or caring visits. If you're interested in getting involved in that ministry, then speak to Mags about that and she'll tell you all about the opportunities of that. But we don't need to be part of a ministry in order to do that. We don't need a badge or a label or a role or a title. We just need to open our eyes to the need of others. We need to have a heart that's impacted by Jesus' love. We need the, the humility to lay aside our pride. And we need the faith to believe that God can work through us, whoever we are. So folks, this is one of Jesus' priorities for us this year. So today, I pray that we we will commit ourselves to taking up the role of a servant and serve one another in love and humility just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us.